This is the Instant Speed Podcast brought to you by FabDB.net, your premier source for deck building tools, collection management, and simulated booster drafting. Yes, upgrade your account at FabDB.net and get access to all of those awesome features to bring your game to the next level. This is episode 31, the Carrie Price episode. No, it's the Brendan Patrick episode, but my favorite Montreal Canadian is Carrie Price currently, and he wears number 31, so hey, why not? Brendan Patrick is standing by, but let's get to the facts before we go any further. Ladies and gentlemen, Pro Tour number one is around the corner. We are currently recording on May 9th. That is Monday, May 9th, and the Pro Tour is going to be kicking off on May 13th in New Jersey, May 13th to Friday through the Sunday the 15th. And there's going to be amazing things happening. There's going to be a calling simultaneously. There's going to be a battle hardened simultaneously. The Pro Tour, obviously, it's all going to be cast with wonderful talent as well as great guests that are going to be showing up, including Mr. James White himself. So stay tuned for this. You want to be sure that you are well plugged in to the Pro Tour because all of the biggest news and such is likely going down there at the Pro Tour. How about Pro Tour number two? Well, the location was originally revealed to be France, but where specifically in France? It's going to be in the northern part of France. That would be the city of Lille. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. That will be on August 26th through to the 28th. So keep that in mind. If your objection, uh, sorry, if your objective is to go to a Pro Tour, well, you got one in France. So it's going to be in Lille in the, on the uh, 26th through the 28th of August. All right. How about a little bit of leaked information, some potential spoilers, as some information of a pre-order was uh, dug up by the sleuths on the internet to suggest that there is possibly a fourth hero. Now, you've heard me talk about this to all the ends, that I significantly believe that there is going to be a fourth hero. But the clues were adding up, and some were kind of perhaps leaning towards uh, that not being true. This might be the first true, you know, dead set, long stock and barrel piece of evidence to suggest that, yeah, it's going to happen. We've seen it happen before with leaked information regarding um, history packs uh, being, you know, released out into the wild ahead of schedule. And here it is. Well, there is potentially an opportunity here where you see Dromai and Fi as a pre-orderable Blitz deck, and then... In the question mark category is Blitz Deck version 3 and Blitz Deck version 4. Does that mean anything? You decide. Before we get going as well, I want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash instantspeedpod, our wonderful and awesome Patreon uh, tier 3 subscribers, Michael H., Ryan K., Kirk B., Tom R., Alaric C., Roger, and Andy T. You guys are awesome. I sincerely, sincerely thank you for keeping the lights on here at Instant Speed Podcast. If you want to be a member, there is three tiers that you guys can support the podcast. As little as $1 a month just to say, Flake, we like what you're doing. All right, our guest today on episode 31 of Instant Speed Pod is none other than Arsenal Pass's own Brendan Patrick. Let's get to it. Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, boy, oh, boy. We are days away from Pro Tour number one, and you're going to be watching. You're going to be very clued in to what people are playing. The best players in the world are descending upon New Jersey to bring their hottest new spice post-ban to the competitive circuit. Friends, if you want to build your own deck, follow along, maybe reverse engineer some of these lists that we're going to see. Use fabdb.net. You'll see a card played, add it to the pool, and 
you can do that. Go to fabdb.net, upgrade your account to premium, get access to all of those awesome tools, collection management, build a deck, edit a deck, print deck lists, do all of those awesome things that you need to do. Upgrade your account today. You will not regret it. The Instant Speed Podcast is honored to welcome one of the halves of the Arsenal Pass Podcast, which is an institution within flesh and blood. Let's get real here about that. Uh, he is always lurking amidst the top-tier players at major tournaments. Welcome to the show, Brendan Patrick. How are you, my friend? Good. How are you doing, Mr. Flake? Been a while. It has uh, been a while, yeah. I mean, I think we, we finally... I don't want to say came to blows. That's not how it goes. Uh, but we met finally um, at the urinals in in Indianapolis. So You'd be surprised how many people I've met at urinals and callings. It's a uh, that's the one place if you want if someone wants to come up and talk to you, you just can't get away. I give you the L. Now, hey, I mean, let's be real. Your hands are like oh, saying your hands <laughs> are full is like maybe not the right context that we want to say here. But yeah, you're kind of occupied as it were. You can't exactly just sort of pivot and leave on that regard but yeah you were there i was there it was a great time we've got pro tour around the corner but before we get to that uh brendan i wanted to ask you a little bit about your your origin story which is kind of how we uh the first sort of order of business when new guests are on the show obviously everybody knows you they know arsenal pass but what about the journey that led you to flesh and blood and where you are today you know your first forays into card games and how you caught wind of flesh and blood and eventually came to where you are today yeah, it's a bit atypical. So, um, Flesh and Blood is actually my first card game, um, and I started in at the the ground floor. So I think it was 2019. It's a store out nearby me um, in Denton, Texas, called Reaper, and I was actually there for like a magic, maybe to do like a Magic the Gathering draft. I just started to like kind of do that with my partner at the time, <clears throat> just casually, and it didn't fire. So they had some decks laid out. They had this like you know, the Iridex, um, some people were playing it, and I was like, oh, it looks cool. So I immediately went and just spent a bunch of money on, like, all of the decks and a few boxes because I'm impulsive. Brought it home, and then mostly played with my partner, and we loved it. It was, like, the best game I've ever played in my life. I was just absolutely blown away. Um, and just kept buying boxes, <laughs> which has really paid off. But at the time, I remember uh, it was a... Uh, Maybe not the best fiscal decision in my life. I was like, I would have to like sneak away and like go buy another case of Welcome to Wraith or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I played a lot. Uh, there wasn't too many local events at that time. We did start up something eventually. And it was basically me and my partner and then like a couple kids would show up every now and then. And then like the store, some people that worked at the store. Um, and... Yeah, I'd had a lot of success early, like a lot. So I basically, I remember, and this is just, I only bring this up because contextually it's kind of funny. I basically I won like 32 games and never lost. And I was just like, I'm pretty good at this game. <laughs> went, to the, went to the calling in Austin, which was really funny. They were planning to do a venue and it ended up being just like a game store because like nobody signed up. Because <laughs> like nobody knew what the heck Flesh and Blood was. I walked in on Friday. There's James White and Sasha Markovic just hanging up these posters. And I'm like, oh, it's like I introduced myself. And I'm like, yeah, James, like, you know, creator. I'm just like blown away. And then I'm like, oh, hey, Sasha, like I follow you on Twitter. And he had like 25 Twitter followers or something. <laughs> He's like, oh, really? One of the 20. Um, so we kicked, we kind of hit it off there. And I remember we played an event that Friday. They used to call it the Battle Hardened. And basically what it means is like uh, you would play a flesh and blood event, but you'd play against the developers or the creator and in this case, it was just the creator. So we did some drafts. We did sealed. In my first game, 
it got paired against Sasha and I lost. I was like, oh God, because <laughs> I was, it just really hammered it in that if I, you know, if I had been so successful in my local meta, I'd obviously accrued some terrible habits to come here and just immediately lose. Um, and yeah, that was, I was like, I thought I was screwed for the tournament, but Sasha and I, we really hit it off. Um, and we got to hang out with James that night as well, which was awesome. Learned a lot about the game. We went into the calling on Saturday. That was my first card tournament and yeah, it went great. There was probably, so this is a calling by the way, there was probably uh 34 people there, <laughs> maybe <laughs> easy top eight, easy top eight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you win. So like I, um, I think I got in at like second seed or something. Luckily, like Sasha was Sasha, uh, made first seed and then we played through top eight um i drafted ninja by the way so funny thing about welcome to wraith is that statistically back then um for the people that were aggregating the stats from these tournaments which i think was like only yazi <laughs> if you know that content creator um like people thought ninja was unplayable like terrible and it like especially in sealed like it was like the worst thing to pick nobody drafted it and i i'd never played the class in limited because of that reason i was just a part of that hive mind um and then in top eight i don't know something just came over me i saw jesus and i just uh i drafted ninja and i never played the class before uh so came through uh you know came through the quarterfinals the semifinals ultimately met sasha in the in the in the finals there and then you know forgot to act activate my snapdragon scalers after i wrote down damage and then lost <laughs> everyone has this sort of fall off a cliff moment where everything seems to be going well you have like you mentioned you have that come to jesus moment where you kind of like in that cinematic style you look in the corner and he's there and he gives you a wink and a thumbs up you're like yeah for you jesus and then you forget <laughs> to do the snapdragons and it all falls apart oh i remember when i when i did draft ninja there was like a few people from my local store and like my partner was down there with me and they had like you know, watch what I was drafting because it wasn't like a private table. It was just, like literally in a game store. I remember they, like, they've been, they was like whispering because, like, he drafted Ninja. Like, what is he thinking? What the heck is going on here? Um, and even I was surprised. I, as soon as I finished the draft, I was like, what was I thinking? Um, but yeah, use the basically, Sasha and I had split, we split the prizes for the finals. Um, and I just decided to use that money to fund a trip to New Zealand to play the first Auckland constructed calling. Which was, uh, it was, that one was a crazy one, right? I think one of the things I'm really grateful for <clears throat> in Flesh and Blood is I don't think I ever would have traveled to New Zealand, or at least not in the next 20 years, probably, if it wasn't for this game. And I got to go visit that just majestic and beautiful country for a couple weeks um, and play that calling. And that was just amazing, which is funny in retrospect now that we're traveling like all over the world or going to France, we go all over the U S like this was just not stuff I did before flesh and blood. But um, yeah, that tournament in particular, I think there was a hundred or so players. Sasha and I had worked really hard on a sort of deck that wasn't explored so nobody else was really on it basically back in welcome to wraith people they look at ninja and it was the hyper aggro class of welcome to wraith like it was the pinnacle um like the epitome of what aggressive decks are they block bad they do a lot of damage they have on hit triggers um and yeah that's it so we sort of flipped that on its head and we you know we our our ideology was that Dread of Brutality was broken, and Flick Flack was really overpowered. <laughs> um, and our deck played those cards, and that was pretty much all that mattered. So it was effectively a fatigue strategy, but it was more just like really hardcore attrition that would run the opponent out of threats. And back in Welcome to Wraith, threats means like literally like red cards. So get them on all blue cards, 
and then just like drone them out <laughs> like with these drones that hit for six and yeah it was absolutely devastating so in the in the swiss round i lost to one ninja one mid-range ninja which was mark tongue and then i lost to sasha in the mirror and sasha lost to mark tongue or <laughs> uh, yeah lost to somebody else and then lost to mark tongue as the last thing but he squeaked in at number eight and ultimately won the tournament and I think that like that encapsulates like my origin story because after that we hit like COVID and I think I dropped out of the game for a bit, just like in Arcane Rising, like nothing to do. And I sort of came back in like skirm season one, but for origin story, I really put, I really look at it as like that 2019 first calling first card game and boom, we're like all we're in freaking New Zealand now playing this crazy tournament. So it's it's just fascinating because like you mentioned, you never played a card game prior to this and you just you had a few goes at magic and it didn't quite click with you. You said, you know, it didn't fire. And I get that feeling because certain games you just drop in and people are crazy about them, but it just doesn't connect with you. There you are getting into flesh and blood. You see people playing the Ira Welcome decks. You take a look at it. What was it about it that really sort of spoke to you, um, you know, versus, you know, jamming a few magic games and that not clicking with you? So, like, initially, it wasn't much, right? It was just me being impulsive and just buying something that I thought, like, looked somewhat cool. Uh, just a novel experience. Maybe, like, a board... I approached it kind of like a board game, just looking to do something different that night. Ended up doing something that's changed the literally the rest of my life. Um, but in terms of gameplay mechanics, like, you're right, I played a little bit of Magic. Um, and, like, I think... The, the amount of non-games in Magic the Gathering was not very attractive to me. I don't think it's attractive to anyone, to be fair, but it's sort of the, the price you pay because Magic is an incredible game and it does have amazing systems that have fl been flushed out for many, many years. So there's a lot there, but fundamentally that resource system, uh, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy Mana Screw, Mana Flood, stuff like this. But it wasn't enough to push me off the game. <clears throat> I think in terms of clicking, I just hadn't... It had never been on my radar to like actually go to like a card tournament and play in person, which I think is a that's like something that a lot of us take for granted to like do this now is like for a normal person to like go to a convention center and play like cards with like all this like very entrenched audience that can be kind of intimidating and spiky. Like that's like a bizarre thing to do, I think, you know, so finally making that like that that jump was like. I guess that's when I consider myself sort of in cards, but flesh and blood from a gameplay standpoint, like it just felt like, it, and a lot of people will echo this, like the games always felt close. Like I always felt like I was in the game um, and I had more to learn. And like, even to this day, like I still, I still feel like I'm a student, right? So there's, I just think it's an incredible system. There's still so many layers to be peeled back and it's crazy because you jump into it. And despite the fact that whether you have, minimal ccg experience like yourself or tons of it like i had there's still so much that you get beyond the surface to discover and you're like damn like there's so much for me like i'm i think i'm good but i'm actually garbage compared to just how much some others are digging deep into this and like you said going to a calling or going to a major tournament it can be an intimidating experience for the casual player but where else do you play right you play at your armories there's no digital client for it and even somebody showing up to an armory and I'm sure you've had the same experience where mm -hmm. you might be attending one of these and even something as small as just like an eight person draft, there's always going to be one person who's curious or is there for the first time or is asking a lot of questions. And you can kind of gauge and get that that intimidation vibe, that nervous vibe off of them. Have you ever encountered that, like that first person on that small scale that's really kind of just feeling it out and, and really putting yeah. their toe in? 5,000%. I mean, that person was me. Um 
like the idea of going to draft like alone at a new at a new store was just like not something I did ever, right? Like I said, when I when I originally kind of dipped my toe into card games, um, I was going with my partner, and that's like a that's I think that's like a million miles different than going like alone to a store where you don't know anybody, and there's like this group of people that all know each other, and they might be friendly, they might not, like who knows? But you're also like you're kind of messing up. You don't really know the rules, and like how does this work? You don't even know left, right, left, and it's like, yeah, it's really intimidating. And like of course that still happens um, to an extent. But I think a lot of that intimidation is actually not. It's not from the the play like obviously the player base that's there can do more to sort of help bring that person in, but ultimately it's more of a fallacy, right? It's more of like me as a person, like I put so much kind of social pressure on myself to like be normal in that situation when everybody there is not normal. Like nobody's there to be normal, right? We're going to play cardboard. It's 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 a relaxing sort of experience, um, and I think just like reframing it. Uh, can sort of take that pressure off, right? Just being there for the fun, being there to learn and being there to enjoy. Now, all of this has led you up to, like you said, it changed your life. And I can definitely relate to that in terms of how a card game can really just alter the trajectory of what you're you're doing. What were you doing before? Uh, I mean, you might still be doing it now, but like, where were you at in your life when you just kind of hatched the idea of Arsenal Pass? Mm, that's funny, because I was actually, so I was on a trip I went on vacation in Colorado. So we went to a place called Durango. It's about 12, 14 hour drive away from us. And we just went there with my dog just to hang out. Um, and at that time I had kind of flirted around with doing content. Me and Rob Seigel had done something called the, uh, what we called the fab gauntlet. So we started hosting like these tournaments, um, on discord via TTS. And, you know, we'd have like, we'd stream them and comment and commentate them. And we'd have like these huge prizes, right? So it'd be like, a, it, it would be an armory literally, but we would put up like an, we would found a sponsor, um, deck edge and we put up an entire case, right? And we even do like half a case to like the rest of top eight. Like it was crazy. The, the amount of prizes we were able to support. And because of that, that actually grew to a point, like we started out with like, it was like 18 people and it grew to a point, um, Rob eventually uh, took a break to focus on YouTube, but me and Dante, that actually scaled that to like, we were getting like 60 people <laughs> and we would have these like seven, eight hour tournaments. Um, some of them are on YouTube, but like it's, yeah, it was a wild time. Um, and then, so like Rob and I had actually just started Fab Gauntlet when Sasha had put me in contact with Hayden. So I actually didn't know Hayden Dale. Uh, I knew of him because we went to the calling Auckland. It was like, oh, there's this guy, Hayden Dale. He like might come and bring Reinhardt. And like Reinhardt was like the theoretical counter to our deck. And I was like, oh, hope it doesn't come. And he didn't. He wasn't able to make it. Luckily, he had a wedding or something. Um, and then I was, I had been asked to commentate um, the Blitz calling back in 2020. I think it's just 2020. There was a Blitz calling. Uh, it was on, when Crucible released it, like a, uh, yeah, like a blitz calling in Auckland. And I commentate, Sasha asked me to commentate and then Hayden was there as well. And that was kind of when I first met him. But the story of like Arsenal Pass's origin story is like one of my favorite stories because it's hilarious. Um, Hayden basically approached me. This is on the eve of Monarch being released. And he was like, he's like, hey man, do you know, do you know if there's any good like uh, set review content out there? Like, you know, like limit, like the, like limited resources. And I was like, um, no, I don't think there's much. Maybe someone should really, maybe should they, people, someone should put their foot in and like get that done. He was like, mm, yeah, it would be really cool. Right. And you could just like do all these things and have all these features. And I was like, 
I mean, like maybe like me and you. And he's like, oh, me and you. <laughs> but it was really like this like standoffish, like kind of like would have like there's this idea and like maybe and it was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Right. So we originally the original idea for Arsenal Pass was actually like basically a derivative of limited resources. It was going to be limited only. It was going to be set reviews and then like maybe like draft level ups. That's it. <laughs> it and that was like how we started. It's funny because like all the pieces were there in front of you as you guys are eventually, you know, putting it together and eventually the picture kind of comes clear like it could be us and it could be anything, <laughs> which is great because th that was the next question I was going to ask is how did you eventually get paired up with Hayden and this, uh, you know, this early rendition or this early version of what Arsenal Pass was is a far cry of what it is today. Now it's like this own its own entity, its own brand. It's like this this you know thriving monster within the i say monster like not like from a mm -hmm. negative connotation but it's just this beast that's out there that really is a, a big service to the community uh, for flesh and blood um but you know from arsenal passes early mission that you guys that you and hayden there kind of parsing it together and piecing it together to what it is today has the i mean obviously the general mission of the content has changed but what is what is arsenal pass's mission today mm. if you were to sort of describe your channel and i've had this discussion with other content creators that you know it's not like we're all out here competing for space there's so much space to be had but everyone has kind of their little their little nook their corner of the landscape where they plant their flag and they may venture out and explore but there's a home base for what each podcast or each content creator likes to call their you know their home field advantage so to speak what would what's arsenal passes mission statement yeah so although like the format has changed right the actual mission of like why we started the podcast never changed right and it's still i think it i genuinely believe it still is who we are today which is that it's competitive content from competitive players, right? We, I've always tried to approach it with like, we're professional players first or we're competitive players first and content creators second, which I know is kind of weird in the context of like some things that are going on today. It's gotten a lot bigger than we expected. It's obviously, you know, it's, it's expanded quite a bit, but like that's our core competency. And like, that's what we try to, that like we approach all of our content from that sort of mission statement, right? Uh, back when we started content as well, like there was not much out there. Like nowadays you can go on YouTube and you can watch videos from this format for like endlessly, right? There's just so much content out there and so much good content as well. Back when we, when we started, like Session Blood had just decided to stop their podcast because they were going to work for LSS. But in terms of like gameplay, there was like almost nothing. It was, uh, it's crazy. Like, and we're on like our 56 or something episode. Like if I just look back at episode 52, like the actual year of progression in terms of like flesh and blood content available from when we started and like where it is now, it's night and day. Like it's, it's a totally different landscape. It's massive is what it is. And it's just kind of grown. And um, like, that's the other thing that I want to kind of get into is, is, the fact that i mean this was your first foray into content creation for any game right like you've never done anything mm -hmm. prior to this right not really like i had done some sort of streaming because i used to play like apex pretty apex legends like pretty competitively i played overwatch pretty competitively i used to be sort of into fps but um i would just like i was just kind of streaming you know i get the nice you know 10 to you know 30 viewers or something didn't have a community or anything i would just ping it on or turn it on for like scrims or tournaments or things like that but yeah outside of that no podcast no youtube none of that yeah and that that was the 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 thing i wanted to sort of dig into is 
I've been in other spaces for other card games and other, you know, video games, etc. And there are some where you feel welcome. There's some where you feel like everybody is not necessarily out to get you. But, you know, when you reach out a hand for help, it's more of eh, if I help you, then I'm not helping myself, you know, so to speak. Like there's a little bit of that competition, competitive um, spirit between everybody. It's a very cutthroat in that regard. But what I've what like your description of your own what your show is meant to be and what Arsenal Pass is meant to be is it comes in loud and clear because whenever somebody asks me about uh, not just instant speed, but about Arsenal Pass or about Fresh and Buds or Collision Point or Push the Point or, you know, the, the, the many different things out there, I always say, I'm like, look, you know, I'm like, Arsenal Pass is the, the proverbial tits of what it, when it comes to, you know, they were there first, they, they've done it best. They, they're just, they're an institution within flesh and blood. But I say, I'm like, I don't feel threatened by that. First, because I don't feel threatened at all by anyone out there. I think that the more content that exists out there is just better for the game and thus better for everybody. But secondly, I'm like, we exist in different spaces. I mean, I say Brendan and Hayden are pros. They're pro players giving competitive insight from that perspective and discussing a competitive, more like focus on the competitive thing. I'm like, that's not me. And that's not what I'm out here to give. That's why I have you on the show because... I need somebody who can give a competitive edge to these things because that's not my that's not my thing. My my thing is this, and that's what I like about this community because I've never felt like we're all out here um, fighting for the same you know patch of of water when there's an entire ocean out there to explore, and and you know everybody has access to the same thing. Have you felt that way about content creation in Flesh and Blood? How do you feel in terms of? I mean, you don't have to like everybody, but have you felt like um, some kind of you know, I, I say like you're kind of like a pioneer within within this realm, but how do you feel as Brendan Patrick of Arsenal Pass within the content creating community? It's pretty funny. Um, so Arsenal Pass used to have actually a secondary podcast. It's Arsenal Pass time in the round. Um, I think it reached almost 30 episodes, if not. Uh, and the format was me, like me with a guest every time. And it would be more about them, maybe more about the story of that person. Um and we literally canceled that show because I didn't find it was, I didn't, I wasn't finding it extremely sort of self actualizing. And we were very busy with other things. And I was just, I said it on our podcast. I was like, when we canceled, I was like, instant speed just literally does it better. <laughs> like, that was why. And that's why we, we stopped. Like, it was its entirely own thing. Um, and we just stopped it because we knew that somebody else was fulfilling that gap. And it wasn't like, it wasn't our core competency, right? But it wasn't we were, what we were out here to do. So in the context of sort of, you know, diverting time or devoting energy to other things, it was like, okay, the community, like if they want this type of content is perfectly served by this other channel. And it's, it was actually the catalyst for us feeling comfortable canceling it because we had a lot of people like the reason why that section was super, uh, super successful for us was because although Arsenal Pass is like, is centered around competitive content, due to the nature of us kind of existing for as long as we've had, we have an audience of people that isn't there just for the content, right? They've developed sort of these, um, what do you, what do they call them? Like sort of a parasocial relationship with the podcast. It's like a ritual, you know, they listen to it all the time and like, it's just part of their daily life and they're part of the community. Right. And what is content to them isn't always just how do I deck stack or how do I do like whatever, right? Um, get the next big tip. So having this more sort of casual um, 
casual podcast that was most just literally centered centered around conversations would would was helping to sort of uh, satiate both of our audiences as well as our audience that you know we have a few quite a few people that listen that are they are pro players and our content while it is we try to approach it from the pro perspective most of the time I would say eighty percent of it is not going to be for players at the highest level because if you're at the highest level you don't need like what we have to offer, right? It's not introductory. It's just a step above that, but it's also not, here's the deck to win the pro tour, right? Cause we can't, we can't service that. We cannot service like, uh, that, uh, that market for a couple of reasons. Um, one is because we're also competing. So there's a bit of a conflict of interest there. And then also the main one being, and this is the one that people, I don't think give us a credit for is that, we don't have it sometimes. So like this is this happened back in Tales of Art. It's like we just didn't have the deck. We had gone a long time with sort of having the deck with I think I believe Sasha and I sort of broke Welcome to Wraith. Our our chain deck and monarch was quite good. Um and then in Tales, like we just didn't have it. <laughs> and I remember and like so if you're at the highest level, there's a few reasons why you know, our so past content content is going to be mostly mostly around enjoyment, right? I don't think there's going to be a lot of level ups that are going to help professional level players on the cutting edge to sort of get better at the game. Um, and that's okay, right? I don't think that's our target audience. Our target audience is the people that are trying to make that switch, right? They want they're a little bit above entry level, above casual, and they want to sort of improve and learn. Well, you guys do a great job, and, and like you mentioned, the, the space that you guys exist in is top notch, and uh, and and. I feel bad to to a degree. I was on uh, time in the round once, and mm-hmm. uh, like it was a great experience. It was nice to talk to you, and and in, in that regard. But ultimately, uh, yeah, uh, sorry, not sorry to a degree. But <laughs> I, like I said, we there's certain things that I'm confident in, and there's certain things that I won't touch with a forty foot pole. Because like you should, I tell people all the time. I'm like, dude, if you're if you're coming to me for advice on how to win a calling, you will lose said calling. Don't come to me. There are much better resources out there that are not me for that. Uh, speaking of which, Pro Tour, around the corner. It's uh, literally days away. We're recording this currently. It's uh, Monday the 9th of... It's Monday, right? Yeah, it's Monday. Monday the 9th yep. of May. Pro Tour begins on the 13th on the Friday. This will be published most likely on the Thursday. So just tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, is when Pro Tour kicks off. Uh, your initial expectations. Um, we'll talk first about a little bit about meta and such because the bans are now happening and then we'll get into a little bit more of the grander spectacle but just from your thought process a lot of people are having immense amount of mental turbulence when it comes to trying to figure yeah. out what the hell to play people land on chain they revert back to they do the whole you know now that viscerai might not be is starvo still good how does prism fare is is oldham a threat how is lexi within this is dash considerations like on and on and on yeah, for sure. And I think that's almost ubiquitous across across every testing group, right? Um, what we found shortly after the bans is that they weren't super impactful other than basically taking Viscerai mostly down a level, right? So this, the what was important about Viscerai is it sort of had this toolbox way of dealing with decks that would, you know, just try to do nothing against it, try to just try to fatigue it or they were slow. And it could always divert to this OTK game plan, which was probably c- kind of fundamentally why the, why the deck was broken is it was both the best aggro deck and the best combo deck at the same time. Um, so we take away that deck and then we just end up with the sort of the same meta we were in before, but it's not, it's less defined, right? There's more just kind of good decks. Um, and like in terms of like taking a deck to target the meta, it's really tough. So let's just talk about the top decks. Like the top decks are chain and Starvoke, period. Um, 
are there other decks that can compete with that? Absolutely. But Chain and Starvo, that's what you have to be looking at if you're going to play the call, the the Pro Tour. Can you target the meta if you're going to if you're going to target Chain and Starvo? Well, I I don't think there's a deck in existence that targets both Chain and Starvo. If there is, um, it's innovative and it's new. And I don't think there will be a lot of people on it at all. Um, I do think you can individually target Chain or Starvo. And in that case, you're trying to metagame an unknown meta, right? Because the Pro Tour itself, let's say there was no bans, would already be somewhat of an unknown meta because we've never had a Pro Tour before. What sort of psychological uh, process do people go through when picking their deck, right? Do people still play Prism when they know that they're going to get wrecked by Chain? Or do they play? Do they double down on Prism because they're like, okay, I'm just going to gem format, pass the chains, dunk on all the Starvos, and then win my mirrors, and then I'm good. So I think that like it's really interesting especially when you get past the tier one decks, you start looking at the decks that really target something. So you have like Ice Lexi, or there's quite a few versions of Lexi that are quite good into chain, to be honest. Like some of them are quite disruptive um, and can be brutal, but they also, they kind of suck against Starvo most of the time. Um, If you look at Prism, Prism is pretty good against Starvo, but dude, that deck sucks against chain. I've seen some versions that think that they can fatigue chain while still having like a cornucopia of two blocks in their deck. Not going to happen, especially when time snap potion is a thing. So it's like you're either targeting one or the other and then gem formatting pass. And it's like if you're doing that, should you even be on sort of this like derivative deck that's targeting the meta? Probably not. You should probably be playing one of the best decks. Say maybe flip your mirror. Maybe you found some text. So you get an edge in the flip, flip your mirror and then have to actually work through. Uh, work through your your other matchup against the other best deck in the format. So if you're playing Starvo, that's Chain. You're playing Chain, that's Starvo. I think it's an interesting place to be, but I do understand sort of the turmoil that people have gone through. Because I know for us, like we had a very strict timeline goal of like, we're locking in on Friday, we're, cr- we're, we're creating game plans and switching sideboard cards after that, and then we're, we're not going to test it all once we're in Jersey. Or at least we will come into Jersey with the sort of the mindset that there is no Fusselnbad that will be played at all. And that's just not what happened. I think we hit Friday, we reinvented the wheel. We hit Saturday, we re- reinvented the wheel again. And then we hit we hit we hit Sunday, we did it again. Like it's it's been a it's been a crazy testing process. But I've been I think I've virtually locked on every single deck that's possibly play- playable on this pro tour. And right now, I don't even think I'm locked. Uh, right. I'm still in between a couple. Are you just kind of settled in the fact that it's gonna be chain and starvo and then those hunting chain and starvo? Yeah, for, I mean, so there's like another layer below b- below that, right? Which is like this dark horse that kind of beats everything. Um, it's tough. And I think that there's a lot, like there's going to be a lot of pro tours in Flesh and Blood where that, that kind of deck is going to be very possible to exist and to take down the tournament as well. I just think that Starvo, from a design standpoint, is just, I think it's terrible, first of all. But like, it's so oppressive and just so strong because it's not, it's not dominate and it's not big damage. It's dominate, it's big damage, and it disrupts your hand. And almost no hero can deal with that. Like the kind of game plan you have to do to sort of beat that is so linear. Um, is, I feel like it's so aggressive that it makes it tough. Like there are these old time defensive decks that are you know can be good into it and stuff like that. But I feel like the the Starvo hero ability is really what constrains the meta. And I think that the ban on awakening is interesting right like if they only banned awakening i think it would have been a hilarious choice but they banned awakening and autumn's touch and as well hit viscerai so starvo i think he's still in a great position um and a lot better in a much better position than most people think he is but in my opinion i do believe the chain is favored into most starvo matchups the tough part about chain is you go to play against starvo 
what do you what cards do you play right you have to hedge you have to be ready to beat fatigue you have to ready to be, beat casino um so like the aggro version or the defensive version so you have to play some amalgamation of cards at least in swiss until you get to top eight so that your your game plan or, or can effectively deal with both and that's pretty tough because it just makes you worse uh, at both of them at the same time so it's a tough meta i'm pro i'm like i'm looking at chain i think that it's uh you know the community has sort of agreed upon that that it's probably the best deck. Um, I, I'm aligned with that to an extent. And if I had to choose between Chain and Stargo, I would pick Chain. Well, that's the thing I was going to get to, is the fact that it just seems like the best Chain players out there probably already have the reps on it back when it was in its heyday. And now it, the the edge that they may want, because a, good, a great Chain player, a seasoned Chain player, even since the deck got nerfed, everything else that might have been better than it now seems to be just maybe like a step or two behind but ultimately the real determining factor here for chain success is whether that chain player can sideboard in like you you figure out who goes first if you if you suspect that your opponent's going to be fatiguing you you need to play accordingly if you suspect that they're not you need to also play accordingly and how do you sideboard into that the best intuition and kind of like the word on the street if you have that information going in you'll as a chain Not player sure. I, I don't think how you, I don't know how a chain player is going to lose this if they have that kind of stuff figured out yeah but you the thing is it's like you never have the information especially in swiss which is the tough part it's like in top eight right you can aggressively side your deck to target one of those strategies but in swiss you got to play some sort of soup of cards unless you're you're just gambling um like what i think is really interesting about chain is like they banned like chain's biggest enabler which was seeds of agony but at the same time they gave him spellbound creepers and like spellbound creepers and its ability to sort of i don't know go over the top of fatigue is very very good um so I don't know if Chain is stronger into Fatigue, but it's it's relatively close on power level, to be honest. I think Fatigue is one of the worst strategies in the Chain, um, I, and I always have. And of course, I've been wrong, obviously, with the Vegas being won by Fatigue. <laughs> but it to me, in, the, in that matchup, it feels less that you're on a Fatigue deck and more like a nice Blizzard really just gets them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then outside of that, like, who wants to play Fatigue as well? Because like, you, you sit down across from your opponent and you just go, okay, the impetus is on you to win the game. I will simply sit here and spectate. That, Basically. I, yeah, and that's a terrible place to be in when you're looking at the Pro Tour when like all these teams, all these high-level players, they've practiced for exactly what you're doing, right? You may have practiced for what you think they're doing, but it's not even, they're not, it's not even in the same universe of preparation, right? So I feel like you're just meat on the table if you're trying to fatigue these chains. So the, the, the glitz and the spectacle of this Pro Tour has been hyped up for quite a while and like all the way back to when it was announced back in like January and the Pro Tour in New Jersey, etc. I mean, James White made it very clear that this is like the place to be, that this is sort of the coming out party. This is where Flesh and Blood kicks down the saloon doors and, you know, starts firing wildly into the air and says we're here kind of thing. Um, is Do you think that this kind of grand spectacle of the Pro Tour number one in New Jersey is it something you think that, I mean, it's the first one, obviously, it's going to be a big deal. Uh, you know, there's like this, there's this banquet, there's this big kind of, there's multiple events, there's a calling, a battle heart, and all kinds of cool stuff. James White's going to be their artist's cosplay. Do you think that that's going to roll over into Pro Tour number two, into Worlds? Or do you think that this kind of hype and, and such is just either unsustainable or not worth continuing to pump the tires on moving forward? 
So I think there's like, there's two really interesting aspects to this question and how I think it will play out, right? Like currently, of course, there's going to be a diminishing return on it being the first and being the, the like this unique thing, right? So, and I think there's an inherent kind of, um, you know, the the, exci the excitement of it does decrease as we get more and it becomes more normal and stuff like that. But I think as more players come to the game, into the game and qualifying for said pro tour becomes harder and harder, there is going to be a level of prestige to that achievement of just even getting there and competing that I think does exist to an extent now, but will exist at a much greater extent later, just because of literal people that are trying to do it, right? Um, it is an invite-only event. There are a select number of people, and ultimately, it would just get more and more competitive. So I think that sort of the Pro Tour being this premier, uh, this premier competitive event for Flesh and Blood, like, yes, I do think it is sustainable. Uh, will anything ever be like Pro Tour New Jersey, the first one ever? Probably not. You know, this will be something that we'll look back on that's been like this historical moment of Flesh and Blood, kind of where we turned the corner and became... Like the real deal, which I feel like we've said about like a million things. I remember to the calling Vegas, the first calling, it was like, okay, we're finally legit. And now we're going to the pro tour. It's like, okay, we're finally legit. Yeah. And it's like it, one of these things. So I do think it will continue to be, to be very exciting. Yeah. I think the pro tours will be special. And part of the excitement, honestly, is the fact that, you know, you get to see a lot of people that you don't see prior or that you have mm -hmm. a lot of communication with them. Obviously COVID is part of it, but just the nature of what flesh and blood is a lot of our, our interactions are going to be online. Uh, it's not like we all live in the same neighborhood. We go to the same armory all the time. So really, these major events where we get to go and meet up with all these people that we've spoken thousands of words to um, you know, over the internet, we finally get to sort of meet them. And it's, it's a great thing. And part of it is also just it, it's certain things just kind of get a, a life of their own. I know that I, I'm planning on doing like a karaoke night while we're there. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. But part of it is also the fact that you tweeted out uh, multiple pictures, one of which was you getting ready for your hashtag pro tour hair. And that got caught on because then there was like Melody, who's part of the community, Elaine, uh, Mara of Blackwing Studios and like Alters, uh, started tweeting out photos and everyone started tweeting out the photos of their wacky or old school hair. And that caught fire to a degree where now suddenly hashtag pro tour hair is a thing. Or you've got your hat on here. So is that is there a big reveal coming in terms of what the hair is going to be or what's the story with the uh, Brendan Patrick Pro Tour hair? I might have like flicked off my hat at some point to like itch my head, but I think you got to keep you got to keep the lettuce secret, you know. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll bring it out I'll bring it out at the Pro Tour. Um but yeah, I mean I just like it's weird because I know with people in my personal life, like they see me, they see me like dye my hair like it's quite a big difference, right? And I'm like at this point it's it's not even a choice for me. I feel like it's just part of my brand and part of the excitement, right? It's like, there's this, this very fluorescent, <laughs> you know, like bright hair. Right. Um, and I'll probably be doing it for every major event. I did think in the past that I would kind of just keep it. Cause I actually, I did, I didn't hate how it looked. Um, but I'll probably be doing it for every major event. And I think it's just going to be like a thing. I love the idea of either if you and Tannen like doing it as well. Um, <laughs> Especially Tannen, right? <laughs> uh, Tannen's like, the thing about Tannen and I is we've had so many stupid ideas. Part of them were, was we wanted to get like complimentary like suits for, for this. Mm. Uh, we just didn't have enough time because things didn't get confirmed until too late. But we were going to go and get really ridiculous matching. Like either it was going to be like Dumb and Dumber style, pastel colored, frilly, you know, top hats and the whole thing. But then we're like, okay, now we're making the Pro Tour look silly. 
but why don't we just get matching suits that are not too... It, it became a thing. So I think the hair thing is a nice, you know, launch pad for all this. Also, I have to definitely rewind here and give you kudos for the fact that you're, other than m any of my hockey player buddies, you're the only person I've heard refer to hair as lettuce. Nice. And, I, and I love it because, yeah, whenever you're complimenting someone's flow, you're talking about check out the salad on that guy. Like, wow, <laughs> you know, you got to you got to compliment the lettuce for sure. It's just, it's just old rugby terminology. These get these, everybody would grow out the lettuce, you know, it's good. Like, oh, a, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> speaking of some like a plus salad, we're going to put the picture up here on the video of you with the rugby hair. And uh, for those who did not get it, uh, you've been called Brendan star of the show. You've been called, because you're a buddy of mine and the fact that you, you can take a joke. I called you Tarzan. Uh, it is, first of all, two things. Number one, sick flow. Like, th that is some A-plus salad. <laughs> Secondly, uh, goddamn, man. Like, you're, you are in some sick-ass shape. I'm not saying that you're, you're not there, but, like, that, let's be real. You're not the, the, the Brendan from that rugby picture. Yeah, now I'm now I'm the five two short guy on Arsenal Pass, as Hayden likes to call me. Um, <laughs> no, but in that picture, yeah, I was about like uh, I was probably forty pounds heavier and just like very lean as well. But I've been playing I've been playing for like four years at that point um, and focusing on fitness quite a bit. Like back then, like I still I still try to stay active, uh, like at least every day, but. You know, I'm not actively trying to just like get bigger. So I have a bigger piece of just, you know, mass to throw at somebody to knock them down. Um, but yeah, I was very happy with how the, how the lettuce turned out because when I was a kid, my mom would never let me grow out my hair because she said it would just look stupid and it would grow out <laughs> like this. But I got some nice, I got some nice flow in the end there. Oh, um, it's sick. It's great. Yeah. You get, it's like some like Encino man vibes of uh, Brendan Fraser back in the day though. But dude, it, it, it looks awesome it definitely looks awesome and i mean now that you're you, you were just days away from the the pro tour we've talked about um you know just the 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 general feel and the hype that's surrounding it how's your confidence going into this because you're becoming you're going to be competing in this and how much of the 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 how is your confidence going into this and also at the same time just the joys of the whole experience like can you are you able to focus on the task at hand like uh you know obviously there's a there's relief to be had when it's all done whether you succeed or or you fall short there's going to be an opportunity for you to kind of exhale and, and take it all in but up to that point how's your confidence and how do you stay focused when there's this gigantic circus of celebration going around yeah so there's like two questions there so we'll answer the confidence one last so I think it's important to sort of analyze like why you play flesh and blood, like why you do this. Um, like there could be like a more of a hedonistic approach where you just enjoy it week by week, event by event. Um, but for me, like there is sort of this like macro part of it that's like self-actualizing, right? And it's not winning or it's not like winning this, you know, the, this money or that trophy or I don't know. It's none of that. Like for me, like the most important thing is I want to be like competitively challenged in the at like the highest level. And I think this is funny. This happens a lot at callings. It's like, I always have my friends come out to me or other, or other players are like, um, if we get a pairing, they're like all bummed, you know, they get like pissed that they got me round one or something. But like, for me, that that's all I play callings for. I don't play, I don't play tournaments to sort of to, to either win or lose to somebody that I, that I don't know, or there's no like investment. I go there to sort of like, I don't know, just put me in the highest stress situation possible. And I want to 
like feel that and perform. Something about that is really important to me and like really important to like my life. I don't know why, uh, but all I want is like the Matt Rogers round one. There's nothing else. Like that would make my pro tour in and of itself. It's like, that's the sort of situation I like to be in. Or I get the David Rude uh, winning in top eight. Like that's literally what I play the game for. Um, so I try to, from there, not be too results oriented. Obviously everyone is to an extent. I would love not to, not to lose. I'd also love to win. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of confidence, it's hard to be sure about anything, especially in this kind of meta, but I'd probably put my chances at something like 99.5% to win. Um, but you know, it, there's always this possibility that you could get unlucky i guess but um yeah probably have the tournament locked if i'm being humble about it <laughs> there's a point there's a 0.5 percent like margin of of humbleness in there that i'm all for but hey i mean like that's part of it is you have to go in if you go in there expecting to lose you're going to basically be a self-fulfilled prophecy in that regard like i always have struggled with confidence issues when it comes to competitive play and through amount of practice and help from everybody and just putting in, in sheer reps, eventually that that kind of, you develop that confidence, you cultivate a little bit of it because you nurture it from the fact that you're putting in the work and, you know, like, but at the same time, man, like, focus must be, must be tough to keep when you've got everybody within the community just either, you know, like, wanting a piece of your time to a degree but at the same time there's just even if they respect your 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 focus and your and your discipline and your and your privacy in this regard i'm sure there are people who are like all right we're well, we're going out to dinner at this time we're going to be doing this we're going for a coffee here we're going for a drink here we're doing this there's like you know uh there's a basketball game that we're just doing a pickup game of like if you want to blow off some steam or whatever like how do you do you do you give yourself some sort of regimen or, or schedule or routine to force yourself to avoid this kind of stuff or are you very much just kind of go with the flow so i'm like a full degenerate <laughs> for me <laughs> okay. it's just like not even a consideration it's like we're like we're just Hookers and blow in. all right yeah, that's how exactly. that's how we do it <laughs> like we're just locked in we're testing and nothing like there's nothing else is even a consideration like so i had a friend come visit me um to help sort of test in preparation for this calling um and it came up a lot, like going out to dinner or, you know, taking a shower. And there's just like, it's not even, it's not even, um, it's not even a consideration. It's like, I don't think you understand this is pro tour testing time. And that's, that's how I approach a lot of things in life. It's like, you've committed to something. It's matter of a fact, like that's what you're doing and anything like there is no reality where that doesn't happen. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it takes away this sort of self choice of not doing it. Right. Um, it's probably an unhealthy way of thinking about things, but I always just go full on, go deep and I have to compensate as well because like, I'm not very good at card games. So I need to surround myself with good players, implement these like, you know, ridiculous processes and like data and stuff. And it gives me like a, enough of an edge to where I can, you know, squeeze a few rounds basically yeah i mean if it's 11 p.m and somebody's telling me that rob seigel's choosing the wine at the steakhouse i'd be like i guess i gotta go like let's just get real <laughs> here um all right well uh i mean that all that's all stuff that's going to be happening down in the future but for now there's been some new information that was basically leaked today again being monday the 9th where uh the new fourth hero that Again, I wrote a I wrote two thousand words for Channel Fireball about my prediction for a fourth hero and the evidence that I was presenting as to why there was going to be a fourth hero, which now seems like old news. And I wish that they had published it a little bit sooner. Uh, but or if they, you know, like because when I wrote this, if it was published on the day I wrote it, I would look like a freaking genius. But now I look like an idiot because all the information's out there. But 
it was dug out of a pre-release or a pre-sale or a pre-order for the Blitz decks where essentially they're, they've announced the two, the, the Phi and Dromai, and then they've said, and plus the two others. So people are like, what are the two others? Obviously, there's probably an Icelander one, but there's a fourth. So now people are once again kind of rekindling that fire of the talk about the fourth hero. Not that it ever died down, but there's a lot more fuel that's been poured on that fire. I want to get a little bit of your thoughts on who, if any, there is a fourth hero and what that might be. So if there is a fourth hero, it'd be another Runeblade because it's been a while since we've seen one of those. Okay, sure. <laughs> but I'd probably I'd probably side on the controversial pick where I think that um, that leak, I'm not sure, right? It could be like an SKU issue, like on the store's end. Like it's not an, it's not an actual asset, right? Like the picture itself is sort of generated mm-hmm. and even the, like the title behind it could be generated as well. Um, I actually still think that there's prob- there's three heroes. Like I do. I just think that three heroes is a better design space for a limited format and it's better for the longevity of the game. Um, I don't think they're going to sneak in like another hero. If they do, like I'll caveat this by saying I'll take the under and get full get 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 a full pass for this bad take here if that fourth hero is a rune blade because I, I think a lot of people didn't see that one coming <laughs> i mean everyone freaked out when they're like briar was released and they're like another freaking rune blade dude if they just drop another one it would be like i don't know hilarious well mm-hmm. man like i you know just as much as i do that people love to find things to complain and bitch about and like if they if if they announce that the fourth hero is a rune blade people are gonna start saying the fo- the sky is falling again you know like White border cards were like the worst. It was like, you know, it, it was the worst thing ever. Uh, suddenly, and now everybody's forgotten it because now, if they imagine if a Runeblade shows up in white border, people would lose their freaking minds. It'd be insane. Uh, hot there take is though. some sort of like there is some sort of like comical hilarity that I will always like. I always budget for LSS where it's like there is this. I you know, there's things that can be normal and there's worth we expect, but then they can just throw this like ultimate curveball and give us like a. Well, they give us like, I don't know, like some fire rune blade or something. <laughs> something really weird. Elemental rune blade, like just covering all the elements. Like, why not? Let's yeah. just do it. Let's make Briar even more busted. Um, yeah. um, next after that, that I just want to touch upon is, uh, you know, we had Welcome to Wraith, Arcane Rising, and that led to Crucible. Then we had Monarch, Tales, and that led to Everfest. Suddenly now we have another draftable set. This format, this sort of formula of, draftable draftable supplemental seems to be working you know three sets a year i'm sure people would kind of want more but then that becomes a little bit too diluted also it's a little bit too much uh you know a new set every four months seems okay i think that's all right but there is a little bit of concern that people are maybe thinking that it's not two draftables in a supplemental every year um Mm -hmm. what would your ideal you know, uh, game plan or blueprint B for set releases and what would be within those sets? So I think that nine months between draftable sets is a little much. <laughs> it's, a, it's a long time, and I hope that we don't go down that road. That road, there is, there is that fine line you have to sort of, you have to, you have to walk on where, you know, there's such a thing as too much product uh, and too many things to buy, but... I do wish that there were more draftable sets and looking, I can't remember where I got the information from. So I hope it's publicly available information. Not that I don't get that, but um, like, I hope it's not eight plus months in between limited sets sometimes, because that leads to like, really that's, that's kind of close to where at, at least like dull formats, um, I think. And I think limited helps sort of like revitalize this. Cause I know class constructed for the past 
the past year or so has been interesting um, because it's sort of been dominated by linear decks, like linear aggressive decks. Um, there were some you know, cards that helped that that got banned, so maybe like Plunder Run and stuff like that. But we're still in, I think we're technically still in the same place. Like they created ice, they banned these cards, they do all these things. And like Star Wars is just another flavor of aggressive kind of an aggressive deck. There is obviously the control deck that Michael played. Um, I think definitely attacks from a different vector. But outside of Old Him, and I think Old Him is like a very powerful hero and Crown of Seeds is kind of a broken equipment. Um, like Flesh and Blood has been a different, has been a sort of a different flavor of the same thing for quite a while now. And I don't see that changing. There's some sweet, So there's some kind of weird way these cards are interacting we're linear strat. It's like we're we're on like the polar sides of like two different strategies. We're ultra linear, and you're either playing the the top tier aggro deck, because um, you always just play the fastest one, right? Usually, mm-hmm. or you're on like the ultra defensive, and you're fatiguing. And this sort there's like this very beautiful design space of flesh and blood, which is the middle and these mid range decks, these setup decks, which technically Visceride was. He just was also happened to be busted at aggro at the same time. Um, that we just don't get to explore. These are your Rhinars, your Levias, your Dorinthias, like plenty of these heroes and i just i won i know i'm like i'm totally going for a change but i actually think that flesh and blood might need to rotate and there might have to be a rotating format for us to get sort of a a better game like i think ultimately i do i think that on the long spectrum of flesh and blood that they will need to rotate formats and they can bring in things like like pseudo core sets so they can reintroduce the cards that work and kind of get rid of like some of these synergies that are not really working um that are leading to sort of the same meta kind of over and over again i know it's been different like right um i know it's a controversial take but i do think that that would lead to like a more fun a more fun game and i i feel like i i kind of see like if i'm looking at the looking at the forest through the trees or whatever they call it i think it's on the horizon actually like, I think we're going to get rotating fab formats. I, I I legitimately think so. Within the next two years. I've been beating that drum for Gwent for years. Gwent's been around since 2015. They've had, they have nearly a thousand cards in the pool and no, no rotation or anything like that. So the busted cards have always been busted. The, and the way that a new attractive cards come out are, they just make other cards look silly, right? And it's, you're right. It is a controversial take, but for those who, and and for you who hasn't really been involved in other card games, it's fascinating to you to actually sort of go towards that because everybody else who kind of argues with me about standard rotation being the boogeyman and the worst thing possible is that they never have any experience in other card games where standard rotation is a reg excuse me, is a regular thing. Magic does it, uh Hearthstone does it, you know, all these big time long you know, big successful card games with not just success but longevity associated with them, they go to that because it's a it's a great way to uh, as an additional thing of balance, where you said corsets, you know, that's just, yeah, it's extra product, but it's, again, you don't always have to buy it. If you own the cards already and they're reprinted, they're still legal. Yeah. It's, a, it's a hot button. And I think that, honestly, that's a that's definitely a, a future conversation that I'm going to want to have. But I'm glad that there are other people out there who see the value in it. Not now, necessarily, but you're saying eventually, right? Yep, eventually. And I also think that that, that doesn't mean that there's only going to be a rotating format, right? I just think that the rotating format, so there's like this sort of what you would consider like standard in Magic, um, but also the Eternal format. Like our game is still young. There, we can still play professional and competitive level events in the Eternal format. I just think ultimately for the health of the game from a balance perspective, um, as they start to move into this era of developing new cards and like new sets, because Flesh and Blood did a lot of sort of upfront development. Um, and that was sort of what they released through 
Welcome to Wraith, Arcane Rising, and even Monarch. Uh, I think Tails maybe too. Well, now as we get into this new era of card design, it becomes harder and harder to like design new cards and have them not have some sort of bust interaction with the others. But for me, it's not it's not on a card by card basis. It's more on like a strategy basis where like these linear aggressive decks that sort of force the opponent to answer the question. I've just been so dominant and they've destroyed the, like they've kind of ruined the ability to play any, any of these, I don't know more. I don't know if you could call them mid, mid range, but like your Rhinars or your Levias or like your warriors, like those cards, like there is bolt saber Boltons, which is playable like niche, but, um, or maybe it's the best deck in the format. Some people have told me for this upcoming pro tour, but yeah, and see there, I feel like we've been on like this, this sort of, polarized side of hyper aggressive or hyper defensive and i ultimately don't think it's very helpful and i hope like it's at the hyper aggressive stage right now but if we ever get to the stage where it's hyper defensive i mean flesh and blood is going to be a miserable game like i think that um not not i mean to an extent like from a casual perspective i think fatigue is like a big issue i don't think the fatigue should be a fundamental strategy for winning games it doesn't affect the, the it usually doesn't affect the game at the highest level but what it does for like the armory level of flesh and blood is just miserable. Like imagine going to an armory and your opponent's strategy, your opponent's strategy is to, you know, just lay down their four cards every turn and they ask you the question. And unfortunately the answer to the question is like complicated deck stacking, you know, maintaining sort of this like power level of your deck, pitching away cards that you would naturally, you would like intuitively think you should be playing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just uh, an interesting spot right now. We've kind of seen them add in, multiple things to try to combat this and we haven't uh we haven't stopped the train yet you know like we added an ice we banned plunder on etc etc i agree i mean as as more cards are introduced um especially generic style cards like could you imagine if they print another really good you know red four block d react you know like it's you already have fate for scene you already have um you already have uh sink below you have like a faction specific one perhaps um but imagine, like, if they just keep pumping these out, eventually, uh, you know, the the playability of it just starts to migrate towards the spectrums of hyper aggro or hyper control to con to deal with the aggro, and everything in between is neither one or the other, and therefore it's not good enough because you're sure. constantly going to be getting better aggro tools and you're constantly going to be getting better um, defensive tools, but there's no better mid range or no better in the middle stuff really, uh, so you're kind of you know, if you want to stack your deck with all the best of one thing, the middle is where you're kind of lacking. It's kind of where you're neither, neither, uh, neither here nor there. So it's yeah. a really fascinating take for sure. How many, it's like how many zero, how many zero for X? I mean, usually it's zero for three if they have go game, but how many like zero for X's can they print? I mean, ideally four, whether that's a combination with another card. I mean, zero more zero for fours can they print before that deck just outvalues like every deck in the game because it doesn't pitch cards. So it's always up on a card. It's like, it's like a very limiting design space. And there might be people smarter than me that can answer that question. But I think we saw a hint of that issue creep up in tails, but it just sort of accentuated the point, right? Uh, um, definitely. Um, smarter people than you is definitely not me. So, uh, <laughs> But when it comes to answering questions, that's what we're going to be doing in the next segment. It is called Go Again with Brendan Patrick if you choose to stick around for another little while. Will you join mm -hmm. us? I'll join you. Awesome stuff. All right, we will be right back with the Go Again segment right after this quick words from BCW Supplies. As always, the Instant Speed Podcast is so generously 
and wonderfully supported by BCW Supplies. BCW Supplies does deck boxes, they do storage, they do sleeves, and it's not just about cards. Are you a comic collector? Look behind me. The wall is littered with signed and autographed comic books, and if you want to protect some of your stuff, you can go to BCW Supplies. Use the code ISP10 at checkout. Get 10% off not just your first order, but all the orders you're going to make, and you can do that if you go to BCW Supplies. Are you a coin collector? Do you collect records or vinyls? They have something for you as well. Binders, all the greatest stuff that you need to protect, store, and display your greatest and rarest gems. Use the code ISP10 at checkout. Get 10% off and support the podcast and support BCW Supplies. BCWsupplies.com. Protect, store, display. All right, it is time to go wide on Brendan Patrick as we go again on a series of questions. Again, this is go again. Are you ready, Mr. Brendan Patrick, to go again? Yeah, let's go. Here we are with question number one. Mr. Brendan Patrick, what is your hidden talent? Mm, gosh, that's a tough one. Um, I don't know. I uh, There was one point in my life when I actually spoke quite a few languages, which is kind of a weird thing to say. <laughs> but um, since like, especially since COVID and I had some medical stuff come up back in like, like 2018 that have limited my ability to travel like before then um i'd actually studied russian for a long time i lived in in moscow um i lived in thailand kind of back and forth for like six years lived in turkey um and i studied chinese for like six years as well i just never actually got to go out there so i lost that one pretty quickly but i think at this point i'm someone who used to speak almost four language at like a four languages at a conversation basis and not counting latin which was like my my high school thing wow. was lost like is now back to one <laughs> just like like you like this you could pick it up right like you could go back and you could you could pick it up but you'd have to study like you like it's it's definitely a muscle and if you don't uh if you don't exercise it it, it sort of goes away quite quickly next question is from mara of uh, blackwing studio at blackwing studio on twitter this is somebody who does exceptional altar work, uh, who I have commissioned my first ever altar from uh, from Mara. So I'm excited to get that in a few weeks. Uh, the question here being uh, several parts, but the first one is, uh, how is it your hair is still so glorious? Or sorry, is still glorious, whether it's two inches or Fabio length? That's the part of the question. And the follow up to that is, uh, we know the community is an important aspect of flesh and blood to Legend Story Studios. What can they do to continue to foster content creators new and old and the community as a whole mm. yeah so there's probably a dirty joke in there somewhere with uh, <laughs> my hair being my hair being glorious both long or at two inches but i don't know i guess i was just <laughs> i was just blessed i was just blessed in that department i actually the, the long hair i honestly thought it would never look good and it didn't look good for a long time i wore a helmet for like a year um but ultimately was able to achieve the rugby lettuce and yeah, other than that, I mean, I'm just someone who goes and gets their hair bleached and turns it white just to look just to look more uh, recognizable at these, some of these pro tours. Um, but yeah, just a blessing. So what can Flesh and Blood do? Yeah, so they do a pretty good job, to be honest. Like, um, they are really, they really throw a wide net with the people that they give spoilers out to, as they should. So I think that they hit a lot of the audiences and everybody comes away usually pretty happy from that season. Um, as well as... Uh, I mean, you've probably received some promos that you're able to give out on giveaways, play mats, like all that stuff is really cool. The biggest thing, like what really moved the needle for me on Flesh and Blood in terms of like how they sort of interacted with me was I remember like one Christmas, 
there are actually a couple of them, I think, at this point. Like, James had wrote me and my partner, like, a letter, uh, like, just saying, like, Merry Christmas and all this stuff. And then he had, like, included, um, sorry, like, 12 packs of Welcome to Wraith because he remembered that we liked playing Sealed. <laughs> so, like, that personal touch is, uh, like, it's really important. And you get that a lot, too, still with Flesh and Blood, even if you... Um, maybe haven't gotten like that specific kind. Uh, like a lot of the, a lot of those letters, like they do come like either handwritten and there is a lot of intent to them. So I think they're doing a good job. Um, outside of that, like what I would really like to see is just more content from the studio themselves. Cause we did see, we've seen hints of this, but there's like, there hasn't been like a structure or like a sort of like a goal, right? Like we saw like devastation. That's like, I don't know if you remember that series, but it kind of just happened and then it was gone. Um, we have like some other series, like the pack one, pick one, it happened and then it was gone. So I just like from a, from a content perspective from the studio, I like kind of wonder, you know, who's driving the ship and like what their long-term strategy is. Cause I think, content from the studio itself is really powerful right because um you know they put it on their main website and it, it's something they can sort of put their reputation behind so i'd like to see more from them um in regards to that and and probably i know that they have been sort of contracting out some gameplay video and and i think that's really cool but another devastation would be would be awesome like i like the idea of that i think that the execution of the first one wasn't quite there but it's a cool enough idea where we get to see like into like the heads of the developers, right? This like sort of mysterious, I don't know, cult of people that develop the game and we get to see them play and like duke it out. Like I really liked the concept uh, concept there. So I'd like to see more of that. Uh, one thing that I can always say is that LSS knows, you know, what side of their bread is buttered to a degree. They've been very, um, very transparent about the fact that they know that content creators are, the, are basically like the front line when it comes to marketing the game and what people are consuming other than the physical physical cards that they're they're doing in the tournaments that they're putting on when it comes to people wanting to consume more flesh and blood related content it's it's people like you and i who they they'll go to so they're very aware of the fact that we are a big part of the success of the game and they're very vocal about supporting us too so that's a really cool thing as well like they're not out there saying well too bad like we own we own everything so you know you're you're our bitches but like they're very they're very good and the fact that like you mentioned getting that that kind of Christmas gift from, you know, Christmas letter from, from James White. Pretty damn cool. Um, yeah. Next question is from Dave Rude asking, do you think Flesh and Blood should push Limited more than they currently do, or is this the right amount? If you would add more, which way would you do it? Also asking, like, more Limited skirmishes, Team Limited callings, maybe a Pro Tour 2 could even be all draft. So your thoughts on Limited, both from, like, a just in general and on i guess from a competitive aspect in like tournament formats yeah it's really interesting because i think if you would have asked me that question back when we were sort of in the limited calling season where it was dallas cincinnati um I don't know if and then obviously nationals like that was a lot of limited for me and i've been like yeah they're totally servicing the limited community but since then it's been it's been nothing right um I do hope that we see a bigger push on limited, especially like you said, at these, this sort of lower competitive level, whether it's through skirmish or I would look like ProQuest. Like I think ProQuest should be draft. Like that would be really awesome now, you know, around the release of uprising. Um, like, I think that would be super fun, even sealed. I think that, you know, sort of having some of these seasons, whether they be skirmish, uh, sort of road to nationals or ProQuest, and like with ProQuest and road to nationals, they've been strictly, um, strictly constructed until now. I think it'd be great. That's like a great opportunity to add in limited, keep it really, really fresh. Um, because sometimes those seasons are, you know, 
usually the, it's like five weeks. It can be quite long and it's sort of sometimes the same meta. At least this last one was the meta state is pretty similar. Uh, next up, this one was uh, on the fly. Who is your Apex main and who is your Overwatch main? Mm. So in Apex, I mean, I played at the beginning, right? So I played a lot of Wraith, um, which is, sweaty. It is like it. Yeah, it was it was the sweaty character, but it's also like if you, when you're playing at like uh like with a team like at that competitive level, it's actually just like it's a utility character um, because your your whole entire reason for existing is actually to move people around the map. Um, and it's funny because like it is it is a very sweaty character and like solo queue, but then when you get to like this team setting, you're just like a portal bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, um, in Overwatch, I played. Pretty much only hit scan. I, like I played early, so I was in beta, and then you know season one, I played a lot of Widow, um, and then a bit of McCree. But ultimately, when we were like actually competing, I, I usually ended up on like Zenyatta, just because from like a shot calling perspective, which was for some reason the role that they decided to put me on. Like that's the best hero to be on because you know as you throw out, I think they're called dissolution spheres. Whichever one debuffs them, mm-hmm. like you're you're really calling. It's like it's so natural with like. <laughs> calling targets anyway and overwatch is a, a big part of overwatch is sort of focus firing on a single character but um yeah i usually play the sweaty characters but not because of like i don't know i guess i'm just drawn drawn to them i just like the ability to to carry even though i would like at a competitive level i'd rather be doing anything except carrying but i'd rather be the one carrying rather than nobody doing it i, I get you i hear you on yeah. that uh, I, and i i like the the thought process when it comes to the race because like the only time that i have like i've ever solo queued uh, as a trio in apex it's like i got paired up with an octane and a wraith and as soon as we dropped out it's like all right well uh the octane effed off that way and the wraith's gone so uh let's go all right on our own and it's like when someone gets downed it's like all right you're like 50 yards of like or 50 miles away from me like the do you want me to do <laughs> like i'm sorry yeah. stop pinging your banner and it's not happening it's a great uh, solo queue character, but in in like a team setting, you no, just man. Become, like you just become a utility character. <laughs> like, there I am as Bloodhound scanning. I'm like, okay, we got a team here. Oh, where are you guys? All right, well, there goes that whole thing. Like, thank you so much. Adios. Uh, Tome of Harvest at uh, Doubling Season asks, what do you think LSS could do to get more players from the starting slash casual play level to competitive? Are these two in a healthy spot, or would you like to see some changes? So you know. Is there any more efforts that LSS needs to sort of, you know, perhaps push some of these competitive players to dip their toe in, uh, sorry, the casual players to dip their toe in the competitive pool? Yeah, that, so that is a tough question for me to answer because just due to the nature of like where I've ended up in flesh and blood, like I sort of only exist in the hyper competitive right now. It's not that I don't go to armory. It's just like my perspective of the game is warped across like callings, pro tours, preparing for that stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't really, I don't know what it's like to kind of go back to where, from where I started, where what, what it's like to come in in flesh and blood 2022, how it's, you know, what the progression of like a, a new player is to sort of like your, your next level, then you get to your callings and then you get to your pro tours based off what I've seen. It does seem like there's a lot of events for, for casual players to kind of play and level up slowly, right? You go from your armory, then you go to skirmish, then you go to road to Nats, then you go to pro quest and now you're hitting some calling. So it looks healthy to me, but I do say that kind of, take into account that I am probably ignorant on sort of what that looks like at this point. This is a good time for me to plug the fact that I wrote a five-part article <laughs> series for, for fabtcg.com talking about going from casual to competitive and what's needed to do it. But from an LSS perspective, uh, I mean, it's tough because I hated 
the stress of competition and some thrive in it. And it's tough for people to get acclimated to it. It's an uncomfortable place to be. It's like getting into a either, you know, it's like a polar bear plunge. Like you'll eventually mm -hmm. get used to it or like a sauna. But like that first, you know, exposure to it, it's uncomfortable. Three questions left. This one from uh, Capolo, aka Andrea Biaggi, asking, do you still follow rugby? Is it, If so, who is your favorite team and who is your favorite player? Mm. So actually, I, I played rugby for a long time, but I never followed it. Um, sometimes I would get drunk with my friends and watch the World Cup, but that's about it. But it's not because of rugby. It's not because rugby is not fun to watch or anything. It's just like I've literally never watched sports my entire life. Um, something about it, I just can't get sucked in. Um, so yeah, I never watched American football and I grew up in Texas, like, you know, none of that. Uh, but I do watch like for about the past two, three years, I'm just kind of like a diehard UFC fan. So like every weekend, that's that's what I watch. Who's your guy? Oh, it depends. There's so many good ones to like. I don't really have like one one fighter that I sort of identify with, but at every weight class, I probably have one that I really like. Uh, I don't know. Like there's a guy at 125 pounds. His name is Piotr Jan, and. He just fought for the championship and he lost. But I mean, the dude's an absolute killer and I love watching him fight. There was, a, oh my God, there was a fantastic fight last, uh, actually this past Saturday between Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje, which was like one of the sickest fights I've ever seen. And the one before that where Michael Chandler just f up kicked and KO'd uh, Tony Ferguson. I'm throwing out a lot of names that probably don't make any sense, but for a UFC fan, it was a good time to watch UFC last Saturday. I know, I know some of them. Again, I'm not a huge UFC fan, but um, like I respect the sport a lot. Like it's it's incredibly technical, and it, trust me, I I would never, I don't have the balls to do something like that. Um, the other question, uh, this is just an offshoot to that previous one. What are your what are your current thoughts, and what were they um, in his prime of Conor McGregor? Oh, it's tough to say in his prime. Um... Because I actually didn't watch in his prime. I watched him... The first time I watched Conor McGregor fight was actually when he lost to Khabib. Um, and I'm a big Khabib fan. So I wrestled for four years in high school. Um, and I did, like, some Russian Sambo and, like, jujitsu after. So, like, just Khabib and everything he was about just vibed with me. So I wanted to go see him smash Conor McGregor, as they would say. <laughs> so, I, But nowadays... He's just a bit annoying and washed up. So, like, it's just like, I don't know. He's goes, he's got a big mouth, I guess, and not really much to back it up at this point. But he's, a, he's an absolute legend uh, in the sport, of course. I think I just came in at the tail end of his career. Yeah, know? I mean, when your training regimen is also wrestling bears in your youth, I think that, like, Conor McGregor that video was, is so good. Isn't it? It's just video. like, his, it was like his dad just was like, yeah, this is my son, and he's wrestling a bear currently. Like, who cares? Like, this funniest is funniest part is like the bear freaking double eggs him. Like, the bear pulls <laughs> off like a wrestling move. <laughs> like, I was like, it's hilarious. It's like, what the hell? The bear's got him in like a figure four. It's like, no, no, wrong sport, <laughs> wrong sport. Uh, all right, I'm gonna tell you the question. I'm not gonna tell you who asked it. You can guess who asked it. Uh, the question is, does Brendan think he can tackle me since he thinks he's a big rugby star? Uh, rugby star now. That's the question, and you oh. can guess who asked it. Gosh, I can guess who asked it. I got, I have like, is it Dalen Mack? It is Dalen Mack. <laughs> oh, easy. <laughs> easy. Uh, it depends. I don't know. How much is Dalen? Dalen Mack has got to be uh, if pretty, you check pretty the, solid. Well, he's you check the, the Tampa Bay Bandits like What's roster. His he's he's 6'3". Do you want to guess how girthy this guy is? I mean, you've met him in person, right? Yeah, so is he... It really depends on them. Like, it's so hard to tell sometimes with guys like that, but maybe 6'3, like 270. 
I would say high would be like 300 if we're talking pounds. You want to hear what he's exactly listed at? Uh, Two, so 6.3 is correct. Yeah, yeah. 340. 340. Yeah, I don't That's know if this big. is like some like weird 1990s kind of like WWF, you know, billing where like the Undertaker was listed at like seven foot five, like 800 pounds <laughs> or something like that. Like, I don't know if that they're giving him that treatment. But yeah. I mean, like I've been with him. I've I've gone to. Uh, oh, he lives local to me, actually. Yeah. Like, but like, have you ever gone out to eat with Dalen Mack? Oh, I haven't gone out to eat with him. Okay, besides the fact that his takes on fast food are absolute pure organic garbage, like he thinks that as Subway is like S-tier food, which is the most ridiculous thing ever, so don't ever trust him. Um, I went to a Brazilian steakhouse with him at in Indianapolis, you know, the one where they, it's just this giant meat orgy where they just keep bringing you meat until you basically tap out. I ate more than him, and <laughs> I, I mean, like, I'm not saying that from a point of pride. But I was a little bit kind of like, you know, it, it, it kind of softened the myth and the legend of Mr. Dale and Mac. I mean, he's just, dude, 6'3", 340, he's a unit. Could I tackle him? Probably. Would I sustain injuries? Maybe. <laughs> That's really the question. I played, when I played California in like a D1 uh, division, like uh, rugby in California. So like there was a lot of Samoans. And those are some big boys. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of 300, 400 pound boys in, the, in those front lines. Um, so yeah, but I mean, Dalen Mack is a freaking. He's a beast. Yeah, he is a. He is a definitely a unit. Uh, if ever I were to attempt it, I would need some sort of Hulkbuster kind of Iron Man suit to just take a running stab at it. But uh, final question for you, Brendan, is what is your walkout music? Now, I always have these gigantic. Right beautiful visions of like a stadium full of people it's like an eight-man invitational your music hits fog machine pyro the whole nine yards what music's playing when you're walking to the ring to face off yeah so it's definitely mulan i'm gonna make a man out of you <laughs> it's like so uh oh what what is, oh my god um one of the uh, donny osmond i think is who sings that uh one oh, of yeah? the yeah donny osmond uh no that's fine that that works too you're gonna make a mat, and it's Dale and Mac waiting there, all 350 it's pounds. A, of- dude, that's that's a great song. That was my walkout song in uh, in wrestling as well. With, oh, that's... the Mulan. I'm gonna make a man out of you. It's just got like such a good intro. Um, I love that song. But you do you know who Donny Osmond is? No. <laughs> well, you're like not no no knock on Donny Osmond because let's be real, the dude is made a career. But he his whole thing was that he was a singing duet with his sister Marie Osmond. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it, I mean, it, striking fear in your opponents is not necessarily something that Donny Osmond would be known to do. But, I mean, if Brendan Patrick shows up, rugby style, make a man out of you, Mulan, I mean, that's some I think, I think I think any Mulan song is more about irony and confusion rather than uh, intimidation. Okay. <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck is going on here? Exactly. It's like, wait a second. So you sh- come out to like Barbie girl or something just to throw yeah. people off. Like, yeah, like this guy's crazy. His music, his music is purposely bad. Like what the hell? Yeah. It's like, yeah, he doesn't need music. I'm trying to throw you off. Uh, Mr. Brendan Patrick, I sincerely, sincerely appreciate you coming on the show again. You're like I said, a pillar of the community an awesome human being. Very intelligent, very well well articulated, and fun as hell, my man. I'm looking forward to hanging out with you in Jersey. But for those who want more, Brendan Patrick, where can we get more Arsenal Pass, Brendan Patrick, the whole nine yards? 
Yeah, so Brendan Patrick is located on Twitter at BrendanAPG. Um, other than that, Arsenal Pass is on YouTube. Obviously, we have a podcast as well. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. We keep it simple with the socials. Probably need to work on our SEO a little bit, but it's all good. Uh, we do some, we do podcasts. Our podcasts are mostly centered around competitive content, trying to do level ups, things like that. And uh, for the YouTube, we do deck text, deck guides, as well as gameplay. Um, really, we've got to be ramping up the gameplay here after sort of the Pro Tour ends and we go into this Pro Quest season. But on that, I'm excited to see you, Flake, and I'm going to catch you in another urinal. You know that, right? Uh, well, hopefully you're not that waiting is, that too long. That is our sacred meeting space. I'm just going to be there and like a tile's going to slide out and it's going to be your <laughs> it's going to be your eye poking out like, you there, buddy? I'm like, dude, not 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 now. Uh, like last time I heard you got a card for me. <laughs> yeah, dude, I was literally, I was midstream and all I hear like, I hear you got a card for me. Yeah, give me like, give me like 30 <laughs> seconds, please. Like that, that's the thing about it is like, I don't even want to be acknowledged as a human being when I'm doing that. Like, not that I'm ashamed of it, but just nobody approach me. I will talk to everybody. I will give everybody the time of day, but not when it's literally in my hands and things are happening. If you get my catch, my drift. Now that's no, not the no competition. You know, <laughs> nobody else trying to come up to you. I'm just like, hey, Blake. Yeah, hey, buddy. Just in my ear. All right, <laughs> man. Uh, I t- thank you. I'm so flabbergasted. <laughs> this, is, this has been the most like solid uh, go again segment ever. Um, all right, friends. Thank you so much for listening to our sponsors, BCW Supplies and FabDB.net, as well as our patrons. You guys are awesome. If you want to support the podcast, uh, go to patreon.com slash instantspeedpod. We've got three tiers, and we aren't going to hide any content behind any paywalls, but if you just want to give us a high five or buy me a cup of coffee and say you're doing a good job, there's multiple tiers that you can do, cool perks associated. So go to patreon.com slash instantspeedpod, and don't forget, you are not losing if you're learning, so keep playing the game. You might win. We'll catch you next week on the Instant Speed Podcast.